We're snowed in and we're repentant. We're the pod people, America's most passive-aggressive podcast. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. Nearer my pod to thee. <laughs> I'm uh, Reverend Jeremiah Sands, also known as Ben Sheets. And you need to repent for your sins. <laughs> this is the Reverend Catherine A. Hanslick, a.k.a. Katie Lambley Optic, and I am gaslit as fuck. Good one. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm uh, Cleveland Mosier, and I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. Our dear friend Cleveland has passed away as we were watching this week's movie, and we brought him home and uh, repented over him. Over and the sponsor shelf. Over actually. the sponsor shelf, and he has uh, risen once more as Lazarus to uh, join us. Huh? All I had episode. to do was repent and escape death. That's right. Well, uh, Katie is back with us for another fun-filled episode. Thank you so much for joining us again, Katie. Thank you for having me again. This week, we are talking about a brand new horror film, The Lodge, directed by uh, Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz. And it stars uh, Richard Armitage, Riley Q, Jaden Martell, and Leah McHugh. Uh, and it is the story of a soon-to-be stepmother who snowed in with her fiancé's two children at a remote holiday village. Just as relations begin to thaw between the trio, some strange and frightening events take place. I think this is a movie where the less you know, the better. General impressions, you know, personally, I thought this movie was amazing. Fantastic. Definitely worth going out to the theater and seeing... There's yeah. plenty of meat there for you to enjoy. Yes. It's going to be a feast, but don't be surprised if it feels a little over decorous if you know too much going in. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. If you like, you know, the likes of Hereditary, other like quiet, high tension, you know, sudden, you know, sort of films. Absolutely is... dread drenched, uh, slow burn atmospheric horror. Uh, if you like movies like that. Uh, if you listen to the show, hopefully your taste somewhat aligns with ours. Uh, so I think... But if not, you're still welcome, of course. Of course, of course. But uh, <laughs> I think that we can all give this film a resounding recommendation. Yes. If it's something that seems interesting, go see it, pause this episode, and come back afterwards. Because it's going to be hard to talk about this movie without talking spoilers. And uh, as my colleagues have said, the less you know, the better. So you have been warned from this point onward. Let's dive in. Uh, I'd like to take a few minutes to first uh, talk about our obligatory theater experience. Oh, as we are wont to do. Out. Let's just get Let's it just out. get it the fuck out of the way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Can there please be like some kind of forum or creed that we all sign that lets people know that we are committed to being good moviegoers? I feel like there should be a certificate for people who automatically put on the table that they don't enjoy when people are talking in the theater. Yeah, there's a like a very special place in hell for you if you talk in the theater. I feel like it's a common courtesy that everyone should know at this point. Like it's one thing to like to lean so. over and like whisper during a loud part like a like something really quiet, sudden, you know, or whatever like if your your compatriots are also there for that and it's like a Transformers movie. It's okay you know for you what I mean? Like an intimate moment, but it's an intimate environment. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I agree fully. And the thing is too 
too. Like, I'm all for audience participation in horror. Good. You know, if people are screaming at scary moments, if they're getting into it, awesome. But if you're not directly interfacing with the movie and just having a complete conversation on a phone for then example. fuck you it's insanely distracting <laughs> absolutely well we should we should mention Ugh. that we we showed up too late to all get seats next to each other yes, so we were scattered the four of us throughout the theater and i drew the maybe the unluckiest lot to be next to a guy who was just talking full volume on his cell phone for the first 15 minutes of the movie and uh i, I think- saw him get up and go a couple of times uh, eventually, thank God. But I couldn't even glare at him though because there were those walls behind the seats. I was about to get on my knees. <laughs> I um, I saw Ben at one point. I saw you sort of like stand up and turn around. Yeah, to like look. And after you sat back down, he like kind of like looked at you and like lunged forward in his seat, oh, like yeah. doing like one yeah. of those. And I was just like, "Fuck, god damn it!" I don't want to have to. Why did I end up? Why did I end up next to this dude in the theater? And we had, like, that same sort of experience when we went to go and see Gretel and Hansel. And I was in a different part of the movie theater. And I had this this elderly couple sit down next to me. And this this old bat just, like, very early on in the movie, like, pulls out her clutch, unzips it loudly, and just starts crinkling around in there for the majority of the film. Like, yeah. Like, like just... And, like, like she was, like, pulling it apart. It was, like, a plastic wrap. And just, I swear to God, she was, like, just, <laughs> just pulling at it. And, uh, and like, chewing, like, really loudly. And she was, she was she unwrapping. sitting next to me. She was sitting, like, a seat away. She was unwrapping and, individual Werther's original. <laughs> I swear to God. I, I swear to God. And it's, you know... Um, and she was, like, whispering loudly to her husband um, during quiet moments. And uh, I I leaned over uh, about a third of the way into the film... Maybe maybe halfway, and I, I just said, "Ma'am, could you could you keep it down, please?" And uh, no no response, <sighs> and just continual loud crinkling. She probably didn't hear you. Um, uh, I'm you know I'm I'm wondering, but like it just it's funny because on in the car on the way up, I was like kind of joking about how I was being an old curmudgeon for complaining about all the teenagers chatting in the movie theater, and in this movie, like I had this old elderly person sitting next to me crinkling away. And- Do you think she enjoyed the movie? Did you get the impression that she was engrossed? Um, um, I uh, was trying to will her out of existence, <laughs> so I couldn't tell you, <laughs> frankly. The, well, okay, I should say, you know, as bad as those elements of the theater experience were, it was still not Gretel and Hansel. No, I was. No, yeah. Well, thankfully, thank God, the guy on his cell phone eventually about. 30 minutes into the movie, got up and left completely. His buddy, who he came in with, did stay behind for the entire movie, though, so I thought that was pretty funny. So, once he left, I was actually able to, like, start paying attention to the movie more Can and I giving it the attention it deserved. How, how how much it says about this movie that that guy's friend stayed? I, I, That's I, a good for point. For any of you out there who are similarly beleaguered by these events, <laughs> if you found yourself listening to this podcast and you have that friend, you you do what you can to stay and get your gnosis. You stay in that movie and you get the most out of it. Don't let the talkers ruin it for the rest of us. It's a king right. move right there. Honestly, honestly. yeah, king Leaving shit. your friend behind. 
I, uh, I, I will say that uh, despite the interferences and interruptions, I was able to get a lot out of this movie. I still had a incredible time. This was a fantastic film. And still worth seeing in theaters. Oh, totally. Like yeah. 100%. Like to make that clear too, that's not like any ragging against the theater itself. Like I would still, I'd still happily go out, you know. And... I mean, it's because like the only time we have to go see theaters, all of us together is like 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. That's like the only mm, time yeah. our schedules a line so it doesn't help that we're going to see these movies at like the busiest time per week and we hope that you're grateful that we come together <laughs> to give you this right exactly on one of the things i noticed is there was a hammer horror logo which yeah. is odd because they're known for like their 50s horror staples and what are some example of hammer films hammer did uh the christopher lee dracula films yep that checks out yeah, but uh, uh, and Curse of the say, Werewolf and uh, Curse of yeah, Frankenstein. Yep. Yeah, they're a mm-hmm. British company. Mm-hmm. No, I was surprised at how restrained this movie was. This is, of course, by the same directors who did Goodnight Mommy. Another fantastic In film. a lot of ways, it feels like a sister film. I'm trying to think of the original title for Goodnight Mommy because I, I remember it being one of those titles that in its native language was somehow more terrifying. It's... Um, because it's a, an Austrian film. I believe the original yeah. title is Ich Seh, Ich Seh, yes. I See, I See. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which is a, uh, a, uh, a honestly yes. a better title. Ooh, that gives me chills. Um, yeah. Why didn't they just, why didn't they just, I See, I See. Right? Uh. Good Night Mommy is a very good film that we will need to cover on this podcast at some point. Yeah, I'd love uh, to see it. But it, it definitely, The Lodge, I, I agree. I think it it carries over uh, a lot of the same themes and in a way kind of like reverses the roles yeah, in, exactly. in Goodnight Mommy, which I, I really liked a lot. This movie had a lot of like really great influences from other films. Like it was just like dripping in hereditary uh, vibes. The Shining. I mean, that's uh, probably because of the location and yeah. the setting. Uh, they both have lodges in them. You know, snowed in uh, and disturbed. But uh, <laughs> this movie, like, references, like, all films that I love. And, man, it was a good time. A there, bad time, but a good time. There were some serious hearkenings, too, to Apocalypse Now and the soundtrack. It's the same... Uh, I don't know that it's the same music, but it very much pulls from that track that you hear when you're rolling down the river in Apocalypse Now. And it only just occurred to me, too, that they're surrounded by water. It's just frozen. So it's almost as though they've also gone on this aquatic journey into the depths of the unconscious or whatever. Well, I mean, there's, there's that, the, the scene midway through where, where Grace kind of goes out to, to try to get help. And it's just her walking across this frozen lake and that really bizarre shaped house that she finds. The cross shaped house. The cross shaped house. Yeah. Which I, I, man, the, the imagery in this movie is stunning. I, I thought that that was the lodge. I did too. I thought that was like the, Lodge like reformed into the shape of a cross. I think it was. <laughs> I, 
yeah. I think that there's a fair argument for that. Also, I will say that there are, uh, I, I got a, some shades of Twin Peaks in this as well. Uh, much more subtly, but it's called The Lodge, and The Lodge is black. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> the color grading reminded me a little bit of The Witch. Yes. Yeah. And has that same approach. It's a very dark movie. That was actually mm -hmm. another aspect of the cinema experience that distracted me. It did seem like yes. the bulb was a little bit dim in the yes. projector. It was a dim bulb. I thought so, this too. This is a movie oh, I would love to see on Dolby I... with the stark blacks because yeah. so much of it is deep blacks. I think out of all of us, darkness. you were sitting the closest to the screen. I, so I actually thought the dimness was amazing. I thought it was part of the experience. I've been in a number of movie theaters where the bulb has gone dim, like, and worked in a, a theater where that was the problem I mean, before. And I didn't notice. I'm not saying that wasn't the case. I, I think I've, part I've known of it, to too, is the ambient light in the before. space. The ambient light the, bugged me. You, know, you guys were sitting on the screen that it was brighter yeah. at the yeah. corners. Than Were you guys it was sitting on the aisles? I was near the aisle because the, the lights from the aisles tend to flood up. It's one of the reasons yeah. I got I got a middle row seat when there were only so many seats left. Like it's it's one of the big problems I have with the AMC is like the 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 runner lights are so strong Super bright, that they flood yeah. out the screen, and that might have been what it was. Um, but at a certain point, I put my hood up to like yeah, <laughs> and right I did that before. Like face, when we watched yeah. the lighthouse, I like had to build like a barrier out of my cloak so that I couldn't you know like <laughs> I wasn't like getting the interference as much. Um, so it's very possibly that I, I thought it was uh, an, uh, a phenomenal use of like Jaroscuro and like hiding those things and just giving those small moments of like fog and then just these sudden points of lightning. And the audio does the same thing at different moments as well, where it's just very quiet, very subtle, and there's just very sharp sound. And not in like the traditional like jump scare garbage sort of sense either. Like it's it's a very tactile sensation. And um like those those shots of the painting of uh well of Mary is movie, are, are yeah. so good. Like I I just adore Adored those constant like pullbacks to just like her shrouded in darkness and like mm -hmm. you almost feel like like she's descending beneath the lake she's being enshrouded by shadow this film like really does a great job of uh, incorporating that that sense of like philosophobia that like fear of like the deep ocean and being pulled into the dark depths you know, awesome i loved how things were being washed out by the darkness i thought that was very much so like a thematic point I was, of the I film i was looking for a word for that something synonymous with paranoia that would relate to um, metaphysics. So I looked up the word metanoia thinking it would be like a fear mm -hmm. of whatever else there is beside the material, but metanoia is actually a repentance. Ooh. Oh! Oh! Cool. <laughs> Whoa! That gives me chills! Look, look very, at those goosebumps! Look at chicken skin! Meta. It's, oh. it's, it's very meta, and it's, it's funny, I just started reading this book, The Coming of the Cosmic Christ, and I don't know how invested I am in the book, but it was also the first time I'd ever seen anyone use the word metanoia. Then we go see The Lodge, and one of the first concepts that we get laid out like a dick on the table is <laughs> repent. And, 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 you know, one of the only things that bugged me about this movie is that this cult leader who's supposedly a leader is saying, repent your sins, not repent of your sins. It distracted me. It distracted I gotta say. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's actually kind of thematically significant because of 
what he kind of represents as like this personification of Grace's past trauma, but that he might also have just been a fraud Mm. because uh, I mean, at this point we're you know, we've given our spoiler warning, but like, we definitely know he's not necessarily not enlightened being. It's not, it's not the supernatural film that it appears to be. You know, it is really about like her, uh, the the kids basically like breaking her so horribly that like all of that brainwashing she endured as a child comes again to the forefront and I really like that idea that like this this preacher figure was not like some supernatural messiah mm-hmm. but was just a crazy cult leader you know who just convinced his congregation to kill themselves also I it, it works on the level of like repent your sins as separate phrases not repent of your sins as much as repent and here are your sins you know this is kind of what we're treating i mean existence yeah there's this game that you either win or lose and i'm gonna make sure that you all just stop playing i mean there's this there's this whole theme around repentance but i don't feel like anybody in the film particularly has anything that they need to repent of, you know? It's like, especially Grace. Maybe the dad. Maybe maybe yeah. the dad. If anyone in the movie actually deserves, <laughs> like, anything. Like, the, the dad is, is frankly, wretched, I think. Like, Interesting to willfully have a, ignorant. Have father figures in both cases, and this yeah, idea yeah. of repentance only really works for him. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Well, I mean, that's, everyone uh, else is internalizing his problems. That's oh, well said. Yeah, it's so true. Gaslit as fuck. Mm-hmm. One fun <laughs> note uh, about that before we move on is uh, just that utility of repetition is very common among cults. Uh, is is a form of brainwashing, repeating phrases over and over again. I like how they use that as a thematic motif that also mm-hmm. helps reinforce like the the cult mentality as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of visual repetition in this film as well, which I I really enjoy. This film is very like synesthetic in that sense. Yeah, it, I, it, it manages to do a great job of like matching styles across like all. I like how forms. they continue to use the uh, the shots of the interior dollhouse as like mm-hmm. transitions between scenes it reminded me of how midsummer used the paintings to sort of depict reminded events of before they occur remind me of hereditary I, I mean because of the literal dollhouses yeah. so much of this film is very dreamlike and a lot of it has you questioning reality and mm-hmm. using these sort of like artificial but very similar representations of the space that they're in to transition between scenes that also sort of interweave with like nightmares and stuff like that mm-hmm. to then be like, okay, where the fuck am I? What is real and what's not? And when they wake up and find that all the power is off and the pipes are frozen, and all their stuff is gone. It's almost like they've been placed in the dollhouse where, like, none of those things are there. No electricity, no water, none of their personal effects, a very artificial, constructed uh, uh, simulacrum of reality. I thought that was so fucking cool. Stylistically, they do such a great job of emphasizing that, too, and emphasizing, like, the idea of purgatory Yes, in the lodge, in the sequences leading up to them going to the lodge. It is fairly bright. 
you yeah. know, not muted in the same way the rest of the movie is. But once they go it's to the cold, lodge, but it is it's brighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even you know the church sequence when they're releasing the black balloons. Oh, you yeah. know, like loved that sequence. Oh, man, yeah. that went straight to Kabbalah. That was <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing but tree of life yeah, for me. Once yeah. we get to that big cross and those black balloons, God and the and the daughter trying to tie her doll to the balloon and send it up, and it being pulled down by the weight. The doll that is her mother. That is her, her mother, mother cannot leave. Yeah, oh. you know she's still trapped. Cannot there. ascend Great imagery. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she can't escape the dollhouse. The, the, the dad gaslighting everyone and putting blame when the daughter is grieving in a Inconsolable, room, in the next yeah. room, you know, just wailing, essentially talking about how her mom is not going to heaven because she committed suicide. Right. And her dad says, you know, there is no heaven. We don't know where people go. Yeah, well, that's what he says specifically. He doesn't tell her there's no heaven. He says, we don't know what happens afterwards. But, like, that's, for her, I think, almost a worse thing to say rather than just telling his young daughter, like, oh, no, don't worry. Like, she went to heaven rather than to say, like, we don't know. Like, that is extremely a a very heavy existential thing to put on a child who is already very torn up by the loss of her mother and has, like, these very specific Christian ideals imbued in her already. The religious aspect of that, especially with her, is such a great mirror with grace. Yeah. And how it's used and transformed through the movie. You know, especially as she brings out her own vengeance, essentially, on grace. Because, you know, essentially she believes that grace sent her mother to hell. Yeah. In a lot of respects. Well, yeah, the the children view grace as the homewrecker that split up their parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you think that th- I'm just going to put it out there that the name grace is 1000% intentional. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It reminded me of Lars von Trier's film Dogville in that same naming. Is, yeah, isn't that, yeah, that yeah. character's name is grace. Isn't I it? think mm-hmm. so. Yep. Oh fuck. Yeah. That's a many-layered and many-splendored thing to be able to imbue a character with a quality like that and have that quality engage in the experience of being alive in that way. With there being children involved and a dead mother who's just killed herself. And we're not entirely sure, as far as I remember, why that is happening except that the divorce you know yeah it seems like she's just depressed over the the separation of her family the mother but they, uh, they, small they... role by alicia silverstone yeah. that was fun yeah. that was uh, uh interesting. interesting stuff lately i think yeah. she's having a bit of a time or she's working <laughs> her way through it that's yeah. one of the reasons her death surprised me so much is i was expecting her to have a prominent role in this film she's yeah because i hadn't watched any trailers i didn't know anything about it and uh, I was I was very caught off guard. I by also her thought suicide. that she had a larger role in this film because she has pretty high billing in you know everything leading up to this. I thought I was like, oh wow, Alicia Silverstone is like the. I thought she was one of the stars of this movie, and she is though. I mean, she well, is. her in the whole film. I I can't get her face out of my mind or she, her blood on the wall yes. out of my head. 
through everything else that happens in the film. That is the framing. It's such a striking of course, yes. visual. I just mean like the actress herself like, being yeah. like <laughs> physically yeah. in motion. But no, that, that sequence really I mean, yeah, I was that the the motherfucker like answered his phone like a minute before she shot herself. The guy who's in the seat next oh. to me. And it's like that that moment was still like so unexpected and so powerful, but like fuck that mother that motherfucker on his phone. I I have a fun note, uh, real quick going back to the dollhouse. Sure. Um, I could be wrong about this, but I I'm pretty sure because I can't think what other significance it could have would be. Were y'all wondering about the shrimp? Yeah. Because I think I know what that was about. Okay. I'm pretty sure those were brine shrimp. Yeah. Brine shrimp are also known as sea monkeys. I mean, she mentioned sea monkeys at one point. Oh, what? Oh, it might. That lady crinkling. I might have missed it over that. If you can keep your sea monkeys alive, maybe then. Maybe dad will let you get a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! Yeah, there was a lot of crinkling going on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, your observation is correct. In the theater, you fucking asshole. Um, Keep it down. Yeah, there's a whole movie. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. The brine shrimp are also sea monkeys, so biological dolls in this yeah. this context. True. Well, I mean, yeah. And- there, there's a couple of them in that little jar in the in the dollhouse with all of the other dolls. And I mean, every time we see the dollhouse, like the the dolls themselves are kind of like scattered haphazardly, you know, very dead looking. I also want to say that the creator of Sea Monkeys had a very strange life and might have also been a cult leader or something weird. Or like he conned a lot of people out of like millions of dollars. I, I watched a documentary about it a while back and I cannot remember for the life of me what it was. But the guy who made Sea Monkeys lived a very weird life. Like he had a lot of like weird failed children's toys and stuff. Like weird guy. Well, um, he should consider like repenting. Oh, oh, yeah. the piano key necktie. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, and I, I, it was it was a few years ago when I when I watched it, but yeah, there is there is something to that. I I think, but I do I do love the idea of like them being like biological, like yeah. you know, yeah. like toys, playthings, and why that is a horrible horrible idea. One sequence I want to talk about a little bit. I I feel like it might be the sloppiest sequence in the movie. Um, I feel like it's an absolutely necessary sequence but the way it was shot and handled i wasn't crazy about was uh when the two kids are at the dad's computer um watching the footage of the okay. footage. yeah of the reverend they had the very fake looking uh you know article on oh, the computer yeah. and they had this really kind of bad looking artificial like inner cutting found footage oh i kind of loved it that didn't bother me actually i, it was I, really, I love it, the sound design for that too because like I you hear like all the low quality absolutely pops. necessary yeah. for the the rest of the movie mm-hmm. but i just wish it was like integrated a little more uh, smoothly. oh i thought it was really essentially done. it was like the the sound design where it had like all the little like low quality pops but the bass that was undercutting it was like really rich and it just, like, amplified, like, all of the those, like, horrific elements. And the fact that you couldn't ever really make out the father's face. 
because of like the filtering. I thought it was like it was like tastefully well enough done where you don't actually see the suic- like the ritual suicides or anything crazy like that. It's it's just to give you a sense of who this person is and it also forces you to associate her with it. We don't see her reactions, we just see her holding the camera. So we can't see like how it affected her in what way, well, which helps us kind of consider her to potentially be like a villain character. Also, at the we have not seen Grace at that point yes. yet. At that point, she is only referred to and we see her kind of in silhouette at like the window when the mom shows up to drop the kids off at the beginning. But yeah, they sort of like set her up as this kind of villainous homewrecker character who has this really creepy weird background from like a suicide cult that like their dad has you know started an affair with because he was writing a book about her and then to then have that have sort of the perspective shift from the children to to grace herself and see that like she's really the victim here you Mm. know uh i i i loved the way that was handled as to the found footage thing itself I agree with you, Ben. I think it's necessary to give context. It didn't bother me in the setting, but I distinctly remember thinking when I was watching, it was like, okay, this is fine, but I hope this does not become a motif. Well, that's the thing. I feel like it was laid out so directly right there. That... I was I was a little bit afraid that we were going to, like, as the movie goes on, start seeing more, oh, like, yeah. found footage no. stuff from, no, like, well, the yeah, cult. That's the thing. So glad they didn't That's the thing. That. I, no. I, at the time it happened, I felt like it laid everything out so directly that I was kind of bummed because I was like, some of the discovery is gone now because we know directly. But as the movie went on, I realized... It wasn't necessarily about that. It was about the power dynamic that shifts right. between the the kids and her and throughout the movie. It's setting up know? the kids' impression of her, yeah. and then we start to see her as she really is, as like somebody who was extremely damaged somebody by this experience. Somebody who did do a lot of therapy is doing the best she can with what she's got on her. Is plate. heavily medicated. Is heavily medicated and. I don't know. She's putting her best foot forward. She's maybe a little naive about it, but that's kind of the situation that you're in if you're raised in a cult, that you're naive to things like social dynamics in some significant ways. In those ways, I actually saw some parallels to The Endless, Mm -hmm. how, like, the the characters in that movie are, you know, escapees from a cult and can't socially interact with other people and so Mm -hmm. are kind of drawn back to the cult in the same way. The power dynamic between the kids and her is so fluid in the movie. It's very unclear who the villain is for a while, Mm -hmm. you know? You you think it's the kids getting revenge, and then she uh, wakes up with a gun in the room, and suddenly it it shifts. Who is the villain? Is it Grace? Is it the supernatural ectoplasm of the dead mom? Is it the kids fucking with her? I loved the ambiguity of that. Yeah, and I don't think... Mm My favorite part about that, too, is I don't think the movie ever gives you an answer. And how much of it feels believable and too justified? One of the great direct references in the movie is they're watching The Thing thing. at one point. And I think that's such a perfect reference for this movie. It's a ballsy reference. Because it's about 
not knowing who the real evil is. Mm-hmm. Oh, good point. Speaking it's... of not knowing who the real evil is, what fucking day was it? What time was it? Where are we? These questions were perpetual for me in this. I mean, it's supposed to be Christmas, but then we are getting these calendar dates that are like, maybe they've eaten all the food. They keep, it, the clocks so, keep getting set to January 9th. There's so many different, I mean, it's a multi dimensional experience well and the dad says he's gonna be gone for two days days. but the the course of the movie feels like a week did the newspaper at the beginning say what day the cult killed themselves on i was thinking about that too and Mm. probably but i didn't notice i would bet that it was january 9th (laughs) if i I was a betting man um i wouldn't be surprised if like the vhs camera or something had that date on it or something maybe i'm sure it's there i'm glad that they didn't draw more like attention yeah no the fact that we're wondering about it is very good like that that, that's the way to do it it definitely took from the shining in that sense Mm -hmm. yeah me too both in how the time and the space were constructed Mm -hmm. as being very much not the sort of thing you can put your finger on yeah it's very indefinite it's disorienting it it reminded me in some respects of midsummer you know you Mm. never know what time of day or what day it is you know the way they play with time in both films or whose psychology you're seeing the events of the film from Mm. is it from who's the who's the protagonist as much as the antagonist are you seeing it from the perspective of the kids is this her point of view yeah because we never really see night outside the lodge very much Mm -hmm. we see it in dream sequences and we see it like of of shots like looking in at the lodge when it's nighttime but the characters never really encounter nighttime outside the lodge ever which i I thought was was interesting also a kind of bizarre twilight unless it's those unless it's the sequence when they're out on the lake or when riley keogh's character is walking across the lake it's always this weird twilight like when they're out on the porch the lighting is so dim because I guess because of the time snowstorm. So too. it always yeah. mm-hmm. yes, and it's always feeling like maybe it's the end of the day. Right, it always feels that this whole movie felt like maybe. Well, it's I mean the that end of the day. that's the thing. Yeah. Like Indeed. I mentioned, the dad says, "Oh yeah, I'll just be gone for two days. You know, it'll be good for y'all to bond." And it's like every <laughs> no. day, it's like, okay, when is Richard Armitage coming back? Like. <laughs> Is this the day he comes back? Oh, well, I guess not. And now it feels like six days have passed. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very, very disorienting in the best way. This movie was disorienting in the way that I would have liked Gretel and Hansel to be disorienting. I think that the use of dreams is much more deft in this movie than in Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, it didn't feel like a tired motif. The problem I have with Gretel and Hansel, where you see her wake up every exactly. time, yeah. isn't in this movie in the same respect. Um, this is a good example yeah. of doing that. Um, yeah, if you are right. One of the other things I really like how they set up is the danger of the environment yeah. they're in. You know, uh, they introduce that in a really cool way where the kids and the dad are like skating on the ice. There's like a fishing hole nearby. The daughter has a doll of the mom and it falls into the, the the fishing hole and we quickly realize how dangerous the area yeah. is how they fall through the ice it gets way darker when you realize they are surrounded by right well know. it's it's like the classic uh horror movie setting and i mean very akin to the shining a very remote location far from civilization 
and uh, the elements are turned against them. Have we and... referenced the lighthouse at all as well? Not For yet. All the same reasons, I think. Yeah. Beyond just saying yeah. it, it like that too. Yeah. Is it is much, much else, but it, it, I think it's at least worth saying. Sometimes that. it'd be like that. It just do. <laughs> it just do. It just do. Um, it's like an atmosphere. It's the atmosphere yeah. of a psyche, and I feel like when you have that removal of the social environment. What you're getting is the psyche of what's left of the feminine and what is happening for those young psyches at the same time. The the young but slightly older than his sister masculine character, and you've got this... I mean, she must be, what, like seven or eight years old, maybe? Yeah, the daughter. That's the time when you start to individuate and you determine who you are. So she's looking to her brother who's trying to nurture her in the absence of the the feminine influence that's his mom. They're trying to get through that experience of having lost their most significant feminine figure in their life. They're planted with this new one and everyone's trying to figure out what genesis and what the family looks like for that little nuclear unit. And the film gives you that opportunity to explore those psychic dynamics because it removes society. But society still makes its way in, in how it influences the kids' behavior and how they approach grace. Yeah, it's always like peripheral. How she defined well, and considering the fact that for a good chunk of the film, it leads you to believe that they may have actually died and are trapped in purgatory. And I like, was convinced. I was too. Yeah. Totally I possible. was sold. I thought that they set it up in such a way. It's like, oh man, fuck. Yeah, that 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 is what is happening. And then the reveal that the fucking kids have been pulling an elaborate prank all along. And like the way they set that up with grace being like, you guys are playing a, if you're playing a joke on me, like this isn't funny. Like that's the traditional horror setup where they're like, this must be a prank. And then, Oh no, it's not because the supernatural. And then to reverse that again and be like, psych, it actually is a prank. What like it's, it's so like deftly like done too, because the whole time, like the, the viewer is convinced. Convinced. Yeah, like the yeah. viewer is just convinced yeah, that it. that Grace is like acting psychotic, you know, like is like throwing a you fit, you know. It's like be, where is it, you know, like we woman. we've already seen her have those dream sequences, so it's like, oh right. yeah, like she's probably just been like throwing the stuff outside in the snow at night because she's crazy, she's damaged, and yeah. and she ends up like for for a brief moment, she's almost like this red herring heroine, you know, yeah. like she almost like becomes like the like the the hero of the film before she's brought back down, you know. Well, yeah, it kind of gives you this impression that like, like you know, really there's her fault. there's something <sighs> there's something supernatural related to the cult going on. And that, like, they're going to overcome it because of her familiarity with the cult and the, the, the scary preacher man and all of this stuff. And it's like, nope, turns out the kids just stole her medication and and have uh, traumatized her to such an extent that she has completely reverted to... Uh, a childlike state where she fully believes everything that the cult instilled in her that she had escaped from. And it's I like. I wonder if that's what it is or if she's just been pushed so far to the edge of her capacity that she says, okay, this is what you told me the world was. 
I've done my best. All I can see now is that this is what the I, world is. That's that exactly what it I is. I don't have value. The material of life doesn't have value. What's there to be alive for? This is just an empty shell of a house. He's never coming back. <laughs> like, well, well, I think it's fascinating, too, because she was, you know, the lone survivor of this cult. She saw everyone she knew around her leaving the earth because, you know, they thought, you know, existence was suffering, existence was pain, and they left for salvation. You know, they repented and gave their lives. And even though she got through that trauma, you know, it literally comes back in that, you know, she, through breaking her, that feeling of, oh, I am living in suffering and sin because I didn't end well, it, you know, I think with she them. Didn't have any sense. There's there's an important distinction to make too. It's yeah. not only that she escaped the suicide cult, it's that they purposely left her behind. Yes. She was the pastor's daughter, and we learned that she was left behind to instill the cult's ideals in the public. Which I mean she was is a left, great way to tell your viewer that like she's the crazy she one. Was and, like, behind, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, she was left behind She was left behind as a she's messenger. Got her raw materials. Yeah. She's I was, got a couple of kids I, that are and the kids, when I heard and the kids that, fucking exactly. and the kids fucking broke her when, and made her think like, okay, shit, I have been, you know, from a very early age brainwashed into believing that I am the messenger for like my father's beliefs. Right. And But what does she have to confess? Nothing. nothing. The message nothing. is repent. She has nothing and to in repent order of. To repent, you have to confess. So she's seeing all of these signs in her environment, like this mat, this this beautiful feminine divine figure that she gets to be suspicious of because of her relationship with the dead mom. But then, besides the divine feminine figure, she goes on. And is trying to find some way of holding on to reality when she knows she doesn't have the chemical messengers to stabilize her. And she's seeing all of these reminders of the past that she's escaped after probably spending a great deal of time in therapy. Oh my god. And, and what are you supposed to do? She had every reason at that moment to just go, nope, this is the way things are. He's gonna die, and so are the rest of us. I mean, I think she's still by the end of the movie, despite her actions, the most sympathetic figure of the film. Yes. Like, yeah. She is she is obsessed with the idea of repentance because that's been drilled into her brain, but she has has nothing to repent of so many props to this film for like depicting mental illness as not the villain mental illness is the problem you know it like right. it is it's what is you know, how she's been afflicted but she she's result. not just evil because she's crazy and I, i've brought it up on the podcast before like it's a trope that i'm for the most part very tired of it can be fun when it's campy like i'm the crazy guy like that it can be fun like you know like in a, in a comic book film or whatever or in a campy horror movie but it's again it's one of the reasons i didn't like split you know as much because it like villainizes you know like certain types of mental illnesses and like ways that kind of like it, it's it's a little skeezy to me, and I think this movie does such a great job of recognizing that 
motif and how hackneyed it is and subverting it. When that bit of exposition was given that, like, she was sent on to, like, carry the message, I rolled my eyes. I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, she's gonna, you know, like, she's the cat, possessed gonna, they're, by the, the they're gonna get left alone. Or something or, or like I was just thinking they're yeah. gonna get left alone. Not even something supernatural, but they're just gonna be left alone in the cabin and the two kids are gonna have to band together to survive against this evil the crazy, this evil yeah. crazy lady. And I thought that was all that was gonna be to the film. And it's a red herring. It it's is. A, it's absolutely. an extremely effective red hair. Uh, I, I just mad props. I think mad props one of the, the most deft uh, moves that they do in the movie is the speaker that they have in the, the attic. Yes. Playing the preacher repeating lines. Um, because throughout the I rest of... I didn't even know that that was happening. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they have one on shot they have of one, it. Yeah, yeah, you, keep hearing, you keep hearing the repetition of his speech in the exact same cadence I th- I and totally everything. I that was her subjectivity. Yeah, the kids had it on a blue right. yeah. well, That's why That's why That's so what's well. so good. Is because for Gaslit all of the movie up to that, you know, <laughs> they, they oh make you think she's just re-experiencing this trauma, you know, subjectively, and it's, you know, very in her head or supernatural even. And then we get that one shot. They don't even, like, over-exaggerate the shot with, like, a music sting or anything. No. You know, they just have the shot of the speaker playing in the attic, and it recontextualizes so much Mm -hmm. with such a small shot. And it's just such smart filmmaking, honestly. Like any any opportunity for a director to like take a moment to wag their finger at the viewer, like when it's done well, like is one of my favorite like styles of commentary. I also you know, to, to really like subvert you that way, like is is so great. Like it's so good. I like when a film can operate on multiple levels too. This is not a film that you'd have to be a specialist in cinema or or even a cinephile a, a movie aficionado of esoterica you don't have to be on any of those levels to go and enjoy the film it's accessible as long as you don't mind a kind of slow film the, yeah. a lot of audiences yes, don't absolutely. like that the metacritic for- score for this movie might disagree it's not very good right now as far oh, from what i understand really? yeah well yeah. i think that it operates on lots of different levels and whether or not you consider yourself the sort of person who needs the the substance of art house or whether you just want something entertaining i think this does both yeah i agree it's such a dread filled movie and mm -hmm. the you know it's one of those movies where there's really no villains no in a in a traditional sense you know it's it's the horror of the environment the dread of the situation the dynamics between the characters i think a lot of horror comes out of that too from what I had heard, because uh, I guess you're looking it up right now, Tease, uh, what, what, I had, what I had heard through the internet grapevine is that the score dropped from an 80 to a 40. What? On Metacritic. I Jeez. could be wrong about that, but like, it's not really worth it. Like, I haven't um, been but looking if, if you at see the score for at it, all yeah. for this film. I've mm. been avoiding everything about this <laughs> film. I saw the initial trailer. I was like, I'll see this movie. When it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> when well, you said you want to do The Lodge with us, I was like, I think that's that film with Riley Keough. And then it was. I, yeah. I saw just very briefly when you mentioned it, I looked at it, confirmed that it was what I already knew, and then closed out that browser yeah. tab right away. Well, the, the super interesting thing is this movie originally came out last year um, in festival season and got a lot of buzz. And it was originally slated to come out in November. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, they pulled it. 
Yeah, that and, was something I'd be worried too. Uh, didn't re-release it until February when we're seeing it. And I don't know why. Because yeah. so I, often I wonder it's a sign. if it's just yeah. something where you know, like cats, <laughs> cats, or they the Grudge, or you know, the upcoming like X Men horror movie. Like there, are, you know, a few of those where they, they keep pulling on them. So past our movie. <laughs> Surprisingly, for for what it's worth, the Metacritic uh, uh, critic overall critic review is a sixty four. So still generally positive the user reviews the user score is a 7.2 that's kind of surprising out of 10 the audience like this movie good good okay i'm glad i was wrong i'm very glad yeah because i believe in rednecks I believe I believe in people who aren't necessarily like the the erudite class of whatever critics are supposed to be. That's fair. Hey, roll Tide. Yeah. I will. <laughs> roll Tide. You know, I, I'll say uh, like my my general my general uh, belief is that like the majority of audiences are pretty stupid, uh, but. <laughs> but roll tide. Roll tide. Uh, you know? roll, roll tide. I'm, I'm willing to. Uh, yeah. I, I hope so. I hope you're right, Katie. Roll tide. Anyway. Sorry, um... guys, this <laughs> we all found out we went to the same school in Alabama. It was very well, strange. Well, close enough. We were at at some point. Yeah. So close. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Let's talk uh, briefly about the score and the or the the sound in general. I guess. Oh, that score because uh, we were just talking about the Metacritic score, so I was confused. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, to bring it back around, no, like the the sound in the film and the score, uh, and then we can talk about the ending. I thought mm-hmm. the score in general was incredible, fantastic. The, the use of hymns in particular. Yeah, there's the the one recurring hymn. Nearer particular. my God to Thee. It reminded yeah. me quite a bit of Lean On. Leaning uh, on the everlasting yeah, arms from yeah. uh, Night of the Hunter, the one that Robert Mitchum sings. It has that. It's a, in the same key, and it has that you know haunting <laughs> feel to it when it's yeah, it's sung. Um, also, oh, yeah, the attic sequence with like the triangular roof, like it's little things. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely some. I think uh, some parallels between this and Night of the Hunter for sure. Night of the Hunter for sure. A crazy um, priest hunting down the kids. You know, it's like you know, yeah. it just kind of leads you, which is where you th- the direction you think this movie's going to go in is that she's like a crazy, you know, like priest, you know, sort of figure it is what we're we're set up to believe before we see her that she's she's going to be hunting down these two kids. And again, the girl with the doll again, just like a Night of the Hunter. Like there's yeah, there are a lot. There of was similarities. a moment in this viewing that I thought. The cult was going to come back in some form. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh man, that shot when oh, she looks out angels. when she looks out the window and like the whole yard is just covered in <gasps> snow angels. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Yikes. That was so an spooky. amazing shot. Yeah. yeah, that was again, very very creepy. The kids totally could have just got out and done that, like because right. they were drugging her. So you know we know this. So uh, yeah, uh, very very believable and horrifying. But I I love what films. Is wrong with these kids? I love films that have like kids these days that have like musical themes that recur. Uh, Night of the Hunter is a great example, and this movie does that very well with uh, "Nearer My God to Thee." I love the moment in particular when she is like she hears something and she's like walking up the stairs in the middle of the night with the flashlight, and it cuts, and there's just like the organ uh, arrangement of the hymn just like Scared starts the piss out of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so loud. It's just like so. 
so bombastic. And it's not like like cathedral evil Catholic church like stuff either. It's a small organ. It's not a pipe organ. It's it's like a community like like a, a church organ just on full blast. So it has it's a just very a lady on fire, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought and it was Alicia Silverstone's character. Like I grew up like going to a church that had like a small organ like that, and I have a lot of positive associations mm-hmm. with that. Like as a child, and when that came on, like it made my stomach like turn, like just tie up well, in knots because like hearing cause... that like that sound that like I have such a positive like connotation with like being used like it's like such a dark bastardization like really fucked me up. Like it was really powerful. Time to go to the dark. And it's, and it's, <laughs> we're going all dark. <laughs> it's just and it's just accompanied by her slowly walking up this long flight of stairs with a flashlight. Like it's it's so disjointed from the visuals. I thought that that moment was extremely Disparate. effective. Is that the sequence immediately following where they're in, where they're watching the movie in the living room, and the kids bring in the gas heater? Is that when that happens with the organ? Is that right after that? I think so. There it's was a like literal a gas heater. Oh my god! Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's there's a literal. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Fucking on Jesus the Christ. Next day. It it does it does seem it does seem to sort of uh, I don't remember its exact placement in the film, but it is kind of like at a turning point for her. Like that's kind of what I would describe as like the break. It yeah. Felt to me like that was when you went into yeah what is subjective and what is objective. It was yeah. either that point in the movie or it was uh, when she had the gun going up the stairs. I don't think and... it's when she had the gun. Okay, I don't. Like the I don't. Kind of thing yeah, where she shows up in the kids. Oh yeah, that might be actually where she wakes yeah. up from that sequence. Yeah, cuz she goes into the room and sees uh the the, the, the body covered, covered in the And she pulls it o- off and it's the little girl. Um, and then she wa- or no, it's it's Jaden Martell's character. Oh, and then yeah. she wakes up and she's standing over him holding the gun. Yeah. I think you're right. I mm-hmm. think that is mm-hmm. that is um, And that is a perfect breaking point. Yeah. You know, that is very much the the point where she starts going well, I think to bring them there. I think it's also the point where they realize, even though at that point we don't know that it's a prank, but I think that that's the point them where they characters, realize they have their that realization. prank has maybe gone too far. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no, not, it's not just a prank, bro. Well, they won't, they won't admit it until the dog is dead. Mm. But I think that, that at that point they realize that... They might be in a little bit over their heads. I, I, the, when when she's leaving, thinking about thinking back at it, like the moment when she's leaving, and instead of like them shouting "Don't go," like the the young the, the young boy just goes like "Don't go, don't go." <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is like their their prank it, it, is. It still seems genuine when he says it though, and I I, I do like that. Their like prank they're still is, like, oh, maybe yeah, don't, like, oh, maybe don't go out at like yeah, we're not trying to kill, kill you, yeah, potentially. Like, well, I, that's up in the air. Like, I think it's... No, 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 do I don't think so. Like, good about where we're at on score, because I want to talk about that lodge. Yes. If we're going to talk about the ending, we can't talk about the ending without talking about the fact that there are two buildings that could be the lodge. So we've got the house, the cabin, the extravagant vacation home, and there's this completely, seemingly meaningless empty houses shitty little houses stacked on top of houses building where she's trying to find supplies or something right totally locked to her all i thought was if this film is called the lodge that makes me think of a masonic lodge and this 
empty, useless oh. building for me is everything about the so-called wisdom of fraternal orders that have been shutting out anything oh. like feminine wisdom for... Well, they, they've they had the feminine wisdom. They've kept it for themselves, but they've restricted it only to male access. Mm-hmm. So that, for me, was like, here's this organic environment where there's a house, and she's trying to make a house for them, and there's food, and, and then suddenly that is removed. And then the only analog that she can find of a setting for her, for Grace, is an empty house with a locked door. It, it, mm-hmm. multiple houses on top of one another stacked yeah. in the shape of a cross meaningless, yeah meaningless meaningless but maybe if it's a cross maybe there's something like beauty that she's hoping so much to find those the those empty houses much like like the cross are empty you know well, like yeah, what I is think, beyond all of that uh, what is beyond that emptiness she's right what uh, has the cross built for christianity but a bunch of empty platitudes she's deeply uh, instilled I'll, with the the desire to like quote unquote repent yes. of things that she is not aware of and in many ways like the the silence of god is what is most terrifying yeah. to her because she's craving that repentance but she's receiving nothing from it and she she continually throughout the film views the crucifix and this painting that we've mentioned of this. She's yeah. willing to entertain whatever reality is going to give her. And right. she's going to bend as much as she can to accommodate others. But it's giving her nothing. It's giving her nothing in return. It's so she has to fill that her. emptiness herself. Yeah. It's not helping her to grow. It's definitely not helping her to repent. She is not able no. to reach a metanoia because everything about her environment has been empty. Yeah. She's looking for a way out. She's trying to build something positive and nurturing. And those kids, they don't know what they're doing. To take it back to, to the kids, I, I don't think that the kids ever intended for anything this bad to happen. I don't think that their prank was entirely malicious. They just lost their mom. Shitty for sure. Right. They just lost their mom and blame and their dad's an asshole. And they blame grace for the loss of their mother for splitting their family apart when in fact it was their dad who split it apart. So I view their prank as a way to try to drive her away from the family. I thought they wanted to drive her away through suicide. I don't think so, no. That was... Because, like, well, the, the brother, like, killing himself, like, saying, like, hey, look, it doesn't mean anything. I don't think and, they had like, any specific end other than control. Yeah. They're, they're trying to get a little power back for themselves. Well, the dollhouse would... <laughs> the the, the <laughs> funny thing is, you know, wrong. especially considering this was directed by That's the same point. people as Goodnight Mommy, with all the connections, you know, I very well could see it, you know, them pushing her to suicide, especially since those films are somewhat similar. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that it didn't go to that point. I never felt like it was their um, intention. But... I think I always felt like it was just the kids trying to drive away what they perceive as the invading force, and they and, want to maintain what they understand, and that getting days. and that getting out of control. And also, I think they do it as kind of revenge against their dad because they're the one, or he's the one who makes them spend that time 
with her in the vacation house despite the fact that they say no we don't want to do that and he says well you're gonna do it anyway so i feel like especially from like the son's perspective who's like a teenager it's like oh well dad you're gonna make me spend time with this bitch then i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that she leaves you know like you've emasculated me and taken away all my choice taken away all all the control I could have over where my life goes, so I'm gonna fuck you. Yeah. I, I want to bring up a small point of subtext around the father as well. It's something that's only built contextually um, that the father's a writer um, and that he wrote a book uh, about the, the doomsday cult and um, about Grace. And by like entering a relationship with her, it shows that he's trying to, like, write her story and also control her through, like, a form of literal narrative mm. as well. And it's another means of, like, dollhouse control. Yeah, he's trying to control her progress, especially with relationship to his kids. How, yeah. How, you know, how can he see her grow or become different through his children? Yeah, he, he owns her narrative, literally. Um, he gets what's right? coming. How <laughs> rigid is that? Like, and it wasn't until you mentioned like the comparison between like that father and hers um, that 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 came to me. Like, I was I was uh, it was only bouncing off of that point you brought up at the beginning of the podcast because I hadn't thought about it that way. And it's like, oh yeah, that was very much so the intent there. And it's okay. You'd, you'd eventually think of it that way. The thing about <laughs> movies is that they get implanted in your subconscious, and then they work on you from the inside. Forever and ever well, and ever. But it's good to have someone smart around, you know, who can, who can help bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> For once, rolls eyes. <laughs> uh, it's funny because, you know, it doesn't come out unless I'm around smart people. So. Right. I'll just get on with your bad selves. Lift each other Speaking up. Speaking of getting on with bad selves. Oh, should you late? Should we jump into ratings? Well, yeah, you're our guest, Katie. <laughs> Why don't you begin? What is out of five your rating of the lodge? Can I give half stars? You can yeah. give half stars. I would go with uh, really what I want to give it is something like a four point two. Honestly, there's so much substance in this film that I would go four point five before I went four point oh. It's not as bad as a four point oh. It to me, it doesn't quite reach four point five. There are just some little reservations that I have, certain aspects of the execution. I also thought it was a little awkward to have the found footage. Not the fact that it was found footage, but how that part of the production was organized and how that was shot and how it was shown. I it didn't I didn't buy it as much. It was just a little too dingy, a little bit too like these people haven't been living here at all and everything is super dark. And I, I I don't know. The execution mm-hmm. bothered me. Apart from that, great film. I'm giving it a 4.5. Fuck it. Yeah, I'm right. going to give it a four and a half as well. I thought the execution was incredible. I, it was an incredibly rich movie, especially after discussing it. There's so much to it. It's so complex. There's a lot of subtext. Uh, I love the dynamic between the kids and Grace in the movie and how how it shifts so much. It 
fills me with dread so much, especially sequences like the organ sequence on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, just excellent stuff. Yeah, it's a great movie, and I would definitely recommend seeing it blind, bringing people who have no idea what they're going to see to go see it. I think that there there's validation for like seeing this is like a perfect movie, like someone you know can can enjoy it to that degree. Um, uh, it's not that for me. It's very close when it comes to. How I felt about this movie, there were a few things that just, like, hit, like, very, like, a little too, like, close for home. I think it did, like, the cult mentality stuff extremely well, and for me, like, almost too well. It really fucked me up. Being part of, like, a program for three years where, like, there was someone trying to run the program, like, as a dollhouse and seeing his students like that, like, it Mm. really fucked me up. Yeah, this movie, just, it really got to me, and I think that was its job, and I think it did it very well, but also, I don't know if I could watch this movie again um, because of that. Like, it it really, yeah, it really got to me. So 4.5, and it's a strong one. It's a very strong one, and I would I would absolutely recommend this film to anyone as well. Uh, well, the tables have turned, guys and gals. This is, like, everything I want from an atmospheric horror film. This is everything I want from a twisty and turny narrative with satisfying red herrings and, and enjoyable but believable twists. This is everything I want from... Uh, ambiguous character dynamics, no clear-cut hero or villain or anything like that. I would be hard-pressed to find fault with anything in this movie. It's going to be a five for me. It's it's. Uh... You know, it would be a five for me if I wasn't a 4.2. Me, personally. Me, myself. <laughs> I bring a 4.2 to the movie. Oh, which is... no, come on. No, no don't, don't say that. The movie's a five. Uh, well, that'll give The Lodge an average of 4.6 out of 5 pods. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it and you sat through all the spoilers and everything, still go see it, man. Um, you can st- I think someone could still get a God, that. yes. Yeah. If not as much. Like, I think, like, having, like, uh, an explanation of the film, like, to you before you go in, I think you'd be more keen to look for those sorts of things as well. Like, a lot of those those little subtleties, I think would be really rewarding on another viewing or with context in advance. Mm-hmm. I, I think that in actually in many ways too, like you could get may, maybe depending on your personality, like you could probably get more out of this movie knowing the twist in advance even though. I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it at all, but uh, I, I can see it. Like I can, I can see justification. Yeah. But you know, we're here for you if you need a support group after. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christ. I was going to say, unlike, unlike you Cleveland, like I want to see this movie again, like tomorrow. <laughs> I, I know that I'm going to go I, back to this movie. Many, I, I, many I times. want to want to see this movie again. Well, you'll, you'll, um, get you'll get there. I'll, I'll get there. there. I need yeah. nine months. I got to, I got to like reprocess. <laughs> like, uh, you gotta I, let it gestate. Yeah. I, I just have to, like reprocess that little part of my life now again. This movie's making me like rethink a lot of things. And uh, anyway, anyway All right. that's a whole other thing. Well, since Katie's got to run, I'll be real quick with the wrap up. We'll uh, no sponsor this this week. We have placated the sponsor shelf already uh, before the episode. So if you like the show, do the normal thing. Go on to Apple Podcasts, brave that blizzard, find our special snowflake, and give it five <laughs> <laughs> and give it five stars and leave us a nice review. Follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and at Letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. Katie. At Lambly Optic. L-A-M-B-L-Y-O-P-T-I-C. 
and I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we further our progress on our lovely game in early access. It stares back. Go and check it out. Um, if you like RPG, spooky RTS stuff, we're here and uh, having a lot of fun. You can also enter our Discord and learn more there, too. Yeah. Join our Discord uh, via our website, lightarcstudio.com, and uh, let us uh, let us know what you think of the podcast if you're a listener. We'd yeah, love to talk again, to you directly. Uh, big thanks to Katie for being on Indeed. Once again. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, thank uh, you. Thank you guys for having me. It's always fun. Yeah, it's always great. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug? Oh, you know, I just have uh, published the beginnings of my series on sexual metaphysics, Philosynosophia. Wow. Uh, so that's a five dollar word right there into uh, belladonna of sadness metaphysics sexuality um all the biggest of the big ideas uh it, it might be for you um why do you have to leave i want to talk to you about all these things i want to learn more <laughs> uh I'll, I'll be publishing the final part of the Philosynosophia series by March the 1st, so keep an eye out for that. And where can they find that? That's at lamblyoptic.com slash blog. Alright, well, thank you once again for joining us, Katie. It was fantastic to have you as always. You're welcome back anytime you choose. I'll be uh, at the movies. Oh, <laughs> right. It's happened before. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. We're into Katie in Colorado space. Yeah. yeah. Fuck that movie. That sucked. I'm sorry. Oh, I loved oh, it. Yeah. Uh, we won't even. I'm middle of the road on it, but yeah, well, yeah. We just, but another time. Rain check on that, though. Yeah, totally. Rain check on. All right. Well, thanks as always for listening. I'm going to go snuggle up next to a gas heater. All right. Good night. Bye. <laughs>